I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey everybody, it's David Pluff. Welcome to Campaign HQ. Well, Donald Trump continues to melt down. Uh, for those of you that are painfully following what he has to say on social media, you know, he's suggesting that uh, prominent media figures have been part of uh, murders. Uh, he's continues to lie about mail-in voting despite being an absentee voter himself. So, you know, sort of Trump's descent into madness continues. And I think uh, my suspicion is behind that is an increasing realization that um, this re-election that he thought, I think wrongly, it was always going to be close, but he thought he was sailing to victory, uh, is in significant jeopardy. So we're going to see him, I think, uh, double down on the lies. His campaign, I think, will intensify their advertising. I'm sure the Russians uh, will be thinking through uh, even more that they can do from a disinformation standpoint and, and interrupting voting. So, you know, every week we're reminded how important this election is. And I think this week, um, for me, might have been the scariest week of all, which is saying something. But he's getting more and more unmoored, more and more desperate. And, um, you know, I think uh, one of the things that concerns me is the Republican Party, with some exceptions like Mitt Romney, you know, just deathly quiet because Trump has brought them all to heel. He's emasculated them all and they refuse uh, to speak ill of him no matter how crazy he is and how dangerous he is. So we have to win this election. I will call out votesaveamerica.com, who's put out by the Pod Save America gang. Uh, they have a great news site where you can sign up to adopt a state, meaning you sign up to help in Wisconsin or Michigan and Pennsylvania. And you'll then get asked throughout the course of the next five months, uh, you know, to make phone calls, to write postcards, to share content in that state. I signed up for Pennsylvania yesterday. I'd encourage all of you uh, to sign up. Barack Obama uh, posted about it today. It's a great way if you live in a non-battleground state to get involved. I think that's a question people always have. I live in California. I live in Alabama. How can I get involved? So that's what it's going to take. You know, despite Trump's lagging poll numbers, he's still got a motivated base. He's got all the money in the world. Uh, he knows how to win battleground states. So we cannot for a minute take our eye off the ball. And we have to do everything we can. So this effort at votesaveamerica.com, I think, is a great way for people to make sure um, you're doing what you can. None of us want to wake up on Election Day, worried about what's going to happen that night, and know we could have done more. Uh, speaking of doing more, uh, so much of this campaign, particularly uh, given the virtual and digital world we're in, uh, is fought online. Even if things open back up in most of the states and there's campaign rallies and door-to-door, -door, and we have no idea whether that'll be the case, this is going to be a, a campaign largely won and fought on our phones and tablets and laptops. Uh, and my guest today, I couldn't be more excited to have on, Rafael and Omar Rivero who you may not know their names, maybe you do, but if you don't, they are the folks who started Occupy Democrats, um, which is uh, just the most dominant Facebook page on the left. They've got over 50 million people who like that main page. They get a lot more engagement 
right now than even the Trump campaign gets or any other site on the left. Uh, they're posting content, uh, infographic, videos, memes, articles uh, all day long, every day. Uh, and there's such a powerful force out there to arm all of us uh, with the information we need to make the case. They also recently started, uh, Raphael uh, led the effort to start a, a campaign page called Riding with Biden, which is already off to an amazing start. Um, I think the Obama endorsement video that he put out for Joe Biden got the most views through their page, riding with Biden. Uh, and, you know, they smartly understand that this isn't just about making the case against Trump. There's a lot of voters out there that want to be motivated to vote for something. And so they're aggressively trying to make the case uh, for Joe Biden. So I'm really excited to talk to uh, the Rivera brothers, their identical twins, about what they've built, how they see this election the kind of lessons we can all learn about the kind of content that's working out there and, and reaching people and encouraging people to share, how they view the different platforms in this fight, uh, and how they view those twin challenges of continuing to make the case against Trump while still being uh, very focused on the fact that we need to lift up the Biden side of the argument as well. So I hope you enjoy this discussion with Rafael and Omar Rivera. Omar and Rafael Rivera, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So, guys, so much I want to talk to you about, and I want to get to your origin story. But let's start with, you know, not too um, long ago, you guys started a new page called Riding with Biden, which is already getting a tremendous amount of uh, interest and attention out there. Talk a little bit about why you guys started that and what you're trying to accomplish with it. This is Rafael. I guess I'll take this one. Um, I always intended that as soon as we had a nominee that we would this time really embrace them as a change agent in, a, in ways that we did not embrace Hillary in 2016. And by we, I mean a collective we, the, the left in general. So I wanted a, a page dedicated just to promote Joe Biden, not just as, an, as the anti-Trump, but to make the positive case for why Joe Biden will make a great president. I felt like that was what was missing in 2016, a, an affirmative case for why People should vote for Hillary instead of just voting against Trump. And my goal is to consistently put out content to promote Joe Biden. And I think it's important for Joe Biden's campaign to have a Facebook presence, but I think it's also important for other pages to embrace it. So it's not just coming from the Biden campaign. Everyone expects the Biden campaign to promote Joe Biden, but it needs to be coming from a broad range through, throughout the entire left, that message. so And it, it's taken off. Within a month, we have 170,000 followers. We right now have twice the engagement of the official Biden page. And I, I suspect that by the time the campaign is over, we'll have millions of followers. And I, my, my dream is that once Biden is elected president, that the page will be a source of support for Biden's agenda to get through Congress. Hopefully we'll have the Senate by then. Uh, if we don't, it'll be doubly important to have a, a, a sustained push to get his agenda through in ways that, for example, when Obama was when Obama took office and then soon after lost the House, his agenda was kind of stymied because there wasn't that consistent push from the left to be Obama's air support. So my goal with the Right with Biden page is that for the next four years, we will be that air support on Facebook. Rafael, that's so important. I mean, first things first, we've got to win, which you guys are going to play a big role on. But, you know providing that kind of constant messaging is a missing part of, I think, our ecosystem right now. So Omar, let me, let me turn to you. So when you think about that, both in terms of the election in front of us, and then let's say Biden does win, we get the Senate back, providing air cover, and I assume also challenging them when they need to be challenged. 
I assume this gets back to your origin story when you guys started the Occupy Democrats page. But as you look at the the infrastructure the right has from, you know, obviously Fox, but Breitbart, Sinclair, Epoch Times, PragerU, talk a little bit about how you evaluate that and why you guys decided to fill this gap. Well, I think it's no secret to anybody uh, in our industry, but I think uh, folks are starting to really find out more and more uh, about just how much of an edge, not just the Trump campaign, but the Republican Party and the digital right uh, have on social media. The reason behind it is the fact that the right is so well-funded. So when you advocate on behalf of the working class, on behalf of consumers like we do, uh, donors aren't exactly jumping at the bit to fund your infrastructure, etc. Now, when you're advocating on on behalf of Wall Street, when you're amb- advocating on behalf of polluters, uh, there's big money in pushing their agenda. So the right, I would say about five or six years ago, identified that social media would be the, the next political battlefield. And they not only identified social media leaders, but they worked with them to build their infrastructure and fund their ecosystem. So I think that the left is kind of uh, not really in the game. So my brother and I have taken it upon ourselves to hold the line for the left on social media, even though we've done it without any kind of donor support or any kind of investment. So I think that looking forward for the liberal uh, establishment and the donor class and the DNC especially, they need to really have a come to Jesus moment when it comes to social media. And they need to realize just how far behind they are. And, but they also need to know that it's not too late to turn things around because we have the truth on our side. So Donald Trump and Republicans, they spend hundreds of millions of dollars throwing fake news against the wall and hoping that it sticks. Now, I think Occupy Democrats, my twin brother and I and our staff have proven that when you tell the truth, you don't need a $100 million budget behind it because the people will respond to it and the messages will go viral all on their own. Right. So um, either of you can can jump in on this. Um, I'd love to hear both of you on this. So, you know, when you think about, obviously, you know, Joe Biden, his campaign are central actors, you know, the DNC, you know, other progressive groups. But you may be, you know, the most powerful megaphone we have right now. So when you think about this election and, and the next um, six months, when you think about the content that you want to put in front of people to make the case against Trump and, you know, Raphael, you talked about, and I violently agree with this, the need to make people feel more enthusiastic about Biden. Where do you think the most important fault lines will be in this election? I think the most important fault line, the way as I see it, is that Trump campaigned as a populist, but has not ruled that way. He presents himself as a fighter for the everyman and for American workers and just for, the, the, you know, six-pack Joe. And yet his economic agenda has been plutocratic in almost every sense. And we have to puncture that argument, along with the argument that he's been good for the economy. Uh, you know, he's maybe been good for Wall Street, even though obviously since the pandemic started, his mismanagement has led to a cratering on, on, you know, to a lot of bloodletting on Wall Street. But the argument that Trump is good for the economy and is populist when it comes to economic issues, that he's fighting for regular people like us, is disturbingly prevalent and has been hard for Democrats to chip away at. So... That to me is the greatest fault line, and and if, and if on social media we're able to to chip away at that, I think we'd do the campaign a great service. And how about on the Biden side? I agree with that. By the way, that is kind of the campaign within the campaign we have to win, sort of on the comparative side against Trump. What do you think we have to do with Biden? I assume it may be connected to the point you just made about Biden fighting for average people. Yes, I think the right wing 
luckily they had 30 years head start on defining Hillary. And they not only did they say things that were absurd, such as, you know, Pizzagate and convince millions of Americans that she had a kill list, but they also successfully branded her as an agent of the status quo, as someone who was beholden to deep pockets, to vested interests. And luckily, Joe Biden doesn't have the same problem, at least to the same degree. But we have to define Biden before the conservatives get to define him first. And they are not, they're not going to hold back. You know, as, as we saw with Hillary, they are completely ruthless and they have no regard for the truth. So I suspect that they'll both try to paint Biden as a socialist, a communist and an agent of Wall Street. It's completely inconsistent and it makes no sense, but it's worked for them in the past just to just throw the kitchen sink at him. So I think we have to point to the truth, really, which, which is that Biden has been a fighter for the working class, you know, the middle class, lower income Americans for decades. And he has a long history, uh, a long track record legislatively to prove that. So we need to highlight that. We also need to highlight the ways that Biden is surprisingly progressive. He may not have embraced the Green New Deal, but he, especially as of late, has made overtures to the left. And I think it's very hopeful that he is working with Bernie Sanders, with, with AOC. And we'll see what these groups that they've formed come up with as far as the policy changes. But our job is going to be to promote as much as possible to our folks that Biden can be a change agent. We have to prove that he can go viral and he can be cool and define him before the right does. Well, that sounds incredibly smart. You know, so I think Trump's going to do all that and Putin's going to do all that, you know, and, and Fox and all of their artillery of weaponry. I think they're also going to make the, you know, they've been pretty clear about this, that Biden's not up to this. He's not tough enough. He's not aggressive enough. He doesn't have the energy. How do you guys think about dealing with that? Or is that not core to kind of the content you want to be putting in front of people? You know, it's a good question. They're already trying to paint him as someone who is senile and not up to the task, not tough enough. I don't see that, but I, I've seen the video package that they put together where I guess Biden, it looks like he's struggling to, to form thoughts. I think it's all complete bullshit, especially given that Trump is famous for not being able to finish a coherent thought and his brain is all over the place. But yeah, we, we have to puncture this almost Putin-esque uh, version of Trump that they've put forward where he's the macho man, he's the decisive you know, action taker, and that Biden is effete or weak. You know, they, they, I think the, behind the moniker Sleepy Joe is this, this attempt to paint Joe as weak or feminine or not tough. And it worked really well with Trump's former opponents in the Republican primary in 2015 and 16. And if we're smart, we will paint Biden as a pugilist, a fighter. And I think Biden knows that. And Biden knows that he's going to have to punch back and he's going to have to punch back hard. And that's why he was elected in this primary, because people saw him as a fighter. So he needs to you know, fulfill that role. If you fulfill the less expectations of him, which is that he's going to take the fight to Trump. Right. Geriatric cage match in this case, I think works. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that you make a great point about the Republican primary back in 16. I mean, he emasculated all of them and they stay emasculated. Uh, you know, you look at what Ted Cruz says now about Trump and it's just uh, incredible. So I'm going to stick with you, Raphael, for a minute. So uh, this core question about who can we trust to dig us out of this economic hole, who will fight for people like you, who's tough enough to handle um, the recovery in the next pandemic, all core, I think, you know, not just for swing voters in Wisconsin, right? But, you know, everybody, somebody who's thinking about not voting. But you've got other issues, and, and Omar touched on these. But since you're the Biden guy, I want to ask you. So there's, you know, Biden will be 
you know, a great leader on climate change. Biden is going to be great on women's health. You know, Biden's going to be somebody who does the right thing around student loans. How do you think about the content that may be a little bit more off Broadway, but is important to a lot of voters out there? You mean like the vegetables? That's what we call the vegetables. Exactly. Yeah. Right, right. Because right. it's hard to get people excited about the content that is just that content, which is just not that sexy. You know, even climate change, which you think, wow, is an existential threat and everyone should be hyper focused on climate change. It's hard to get people to share stuff about climate change. And we have to highlight the differences between Trump and Biden, which are vast on a whole host of issues. For, for the most part, America is more progressive and liberal than then you would think by you know watching Fox News and listening to the, to the talking heads, when you split down the issues, America is with Biden on a whole host of issues, the environment, climate change, you know, the student loans, like you mentioned, there's so much potential ground to be plowed there. If we are able to focus on the policies and not just politics all the time and speak to those constituencies in a clear way and show them that we have to at least get our guy in there and then lean on him to be more progressive. But if, if Joe Biden isn't even in power, Trump is never going to listen to us. And, you know, we have this, this looming potential that if Joe Biden isn't the next president, the Supreme Court will be an extreme right wing court for generations. We have to make these cases and we have to make them forcefully and we have to make them as sexy as possible. And you know, luckily, we have a track record of, of taking these issues that are not so sexy and making them so uh, at least on, on, on Facebook. So hopefully that's going to be one of our main focuses is, is how can we let people, everyday Americans see that Joe Biden is a much better choice than Trump on a whole host of issues in, in ways that they may not realize right now. I think it's incredibly important. I mean, I think, you know, we have to get people to understand that, you know, if Biden loses, you know, there's no guarantee this is the case, but the Supreme Court could be 7-2. And Trump has another four years to appoint judges across the entire federal judiciary. Uh, and if Biden loses, it probably means we didn't win the Senate. And what that means is even if we win every election for the rest of time, you know, the next 20 or 30 years, there's just going to be this lid on the progress we can make because of the court. Uh, so it's such an important point. So, Omar, you obviously you've got over 50 million people um, who you know follow your your core page, Occupy Democrats. Riding with Biden is really starting to grow. So you have a tremendous amount of people who consume content. What do you say to people who say I, I I just don't feel like sharing it? You know I don't feel like when I share something, you know my aunt, you know Ivanka or Uncle Jared, you know fire back at me. Like how do we get people to just understand like that is the battlefield? And at least for six months, we all got to kind of put on the hazmat suit and you know share positive Biden, anti-Trump, infographics, videos, all the great content you guys put out. I'm I'm sure you have those conversations with people who are super, you know they're cautious. They're not sure they want to get into that digital fight. Well, I've actually seen videos of FreedomWorks, the Koch Brothers Foundation, actually holding seminars held by young digital social media leaders explaining to seniors uh, the importance of social media and how this is the way they're going to win the messaging war and capture the hearts and minds of uh, the American people. It's by sharing away on Facebook. Now, the, the Democrats need to put on their hard hat and match them on the front lines and go to war. This, this social media is the new political battlefield where ideas uh, win and lose. And I think something that you guys touched on earlier that I didn't get a chance to interject on is that Trump's campaign strategy seems to be one of projection. And it's the same thing that he did in 2016. He accused Hillary of being guilty of everything he himself was guilty of. So she ran a crooked charity foundation. We all know that the Trump 
uh, foundation was charged with committing actual crimes and they were dissolved by the state of New York. You know, she accused uh, Hillary of being crooked and Donald Trump is, has a long sordid history of ripping everybody off and uh, gaming the system to his own benefit, filing bankruptcy, etc. And now he's accusing Joe Biden of being beholden to China when I think any economist will tell you that Trump is the best thing that ever happened to China and, and China's economic prowess is growing more and more every single day. So it's important that we puncture a hole in Trump's hypocrisy. And it's important that the people, that the left realizes that politics is a zero-sum game. So if we don't support Joe Biden, the same thing that's going to happen in 2016 is going to happen again. So Donald Trump has a very strong base and they're all going to go out and vote. They might, they might only be 30% of the population, but all 30% of them are going to vote. Now, Biden might have 70% support, but if people are not excited about his candidacy and aren't willing to spend, uh, you know, six hours waiting in line to vote for him, then we're going to have the same problem that we did in 2016. Absolutely. Uh, so either of you guys can jump in on this first, but I'm curious when you, uh, you Omar, you mentioned the Trump campaign, when, and I'm sure you'd study what they're doing carefully. What are they doing well? What concerns you? Where do you think they're overrated by the media? Just kind of how do you assess the opponent here? Sure. Now, you know, I think the main advantage that they have is just how seriously they take social media. So Trump's campaign manager comes from the digital field. Biden doesn't have a campaign manager that comes from digital. They just have a digital strategist like traditional Democratic campaigns do. So I think the first part of the equation is just the fact that Trump and the Republican Party realize the value of social media. And that really puts us behind. Just in terms of their orientation, they just, they're just they just native, right? They just understand the playing field. Well, these networks are made not for paid reach. So the Biden campaign and Democrats and the Bloomberg campaign, they think that you can just pay Facebook and win the battle when these networks are designed really for organic reach. And that's something that the Trump campaign and Brad Pascal, his campaign manager, do a pretty good job at. Nowhere near as good a job as we do. And to be honest, I think their social media strategy is way overrated. Brad Pascal is no social media genius. He never started an organic Facebook page and built it from scratch. Uh, all he did was kind of ride Trump's popularity and spend over $100 million on Facebook and everybody thinks he's a genius. But in reality, he's no social media expert. And I think that the Biden campaign will do itself a huge service by identifying social media leaders, not just ourselves, but other social media leaders, and working with them in order to amplify his message organically so he wouldn't spend any money doing so. And an organic message is way more powerful on Facebook. Nobody's going to take something seriously when it's got a sponsored label on top. So I think that that's something that we are actually in talks with the Biden campaign and, and help trying to help them understand the value of using social media the way it's supposed to be used and not just throwing money at the problem and hoping to win that way. This is so important because, you know, you guys, I think, are central to this. But, you know, when you think about even some of the, whether it's the Obamas, you know, AOC, people with huge reach out there, some of the celebrities, I just think, you know, some of this is just leveraging all that in an organized way uh, to get that kind of reach. And, you know, when a campaign puts something out, even if it's not sponsored, 
to your point, it does have a degree of an ear of propaganda, right? <laughs> but when you guys are posting something, it seems, you know, it is, it's authentic. It's something that spoke to you. So um, speak a little bit about uh, YouTube, if you could. Um, that seems to be a place, maybe I'm wrong about this, where uh, it seems like the right, you know, because they have Fox and Epoch and Prager and Breitbart and Sinclair, I mean, they just have this command and control infrastructure. Some of that's analog, some of it's digital. But YouTube seems to be a place where they have a pretty big advantage. Speak a little bit about that if you could. So I think a huge part of the reason why is because it requires infrastructure to have a set. If you want to create a YouTube channel, you need a set, you need a microphone, you need a production team, etc., the left, there's not a single page on the left that could afford that, that has the budget to do that. We're all just fighting for scraps. A lot of the large pages on the left are struggling just to put food on their table and pay the rent. So the idea of having extra money left over to put together a production studio and a nice YouTube channel is not even an option for us. Now, the right, if you look at Prager University, they're funded by billionaires. Breitbart was funded by billionaires as well, by the Mercers. And look what they did. They built up the infrastructure to actually get Trump elected. So that's a big part of the reason why the left has not penetrated uh, YouTube, because it's expensive and we just lack the infrastructure and the help from donors and investors. Well, for those listening out there, this seems to be uh, a lock. We've got to figure out how to pick really, really quickly. And I'm, I'm curious, when you guys think about the presidential election, and a lot of these also have um, key center races like Arizona and North Carolina. Do you guys have uh, some unique strategies in the battleground states? H how do you think about those? We're actually, we actually set up a PAC for the first time ever. We have the Occupy Democrats Election Fund, and it is being funded by donors. And we're working on the nine electoral college swing states and five flippable Senate races for the Democrats. So we're working on highly animated videos designed specially for Facebook by our team, which are Facebook pioneers. And we're about to start rolling out uh, the videos that we're creating. And then with the rest of the money f on the budget, we will use them to use Facebook's boosting tools to geo-target them to super voters in these pivotal states. That's excellent. So there'll be content that's unique to those states. That's precisely right. We're creating videos unique to those states, unique to those races. And it's something that's from my understanding, has never been done before on the left on social media. A well-funded project carried out by social media experts with expensive animators, which is something that, as far as I know, nobody on the left has any animators on their staff. We've never been able to afford animators on our staff. We have editors and graphics designers. But now for the first time, especially since that New York Times article came out, donors are really starting to pay attention to us and and getting involved and asking how they can help us spread our message. And the Occupy Democrats Election Fund aims to be a vehicle for change, to really puncture the myths promulgated by Donald Trump and his campaign. Like, hey, he's been good for workers and he always puts America first. So we're putting out videos, really fact-checking him and telling the facts and saying, look, he has spent his entire presidency enriching himself and his family and rigging the economy on behalf of billionaires like himself. And th those are the facts. I think the, the only way that content would be palatable uh, for social media and has the promise and the chance of going viral would be highly animated videos that chip away at every single one of these, uh, at basically at Trump's social media house of cards. 
every single policy that he has pushed forward is deeply unpopular. But somehow he manages to just lie about things on Twitter and say, well, actually, I did the exact opposite. And then his right-wing echo chamber promulgates that all over Facebook, all over Twitter, all over Reddit, all over Instagram. And now his lie now becomes the truth. And the facts now become uh, some sort of liberal media conspiracy to take him down. And that, I think, is the most important thing that Democrats need to work on. So I'm curious, I'll throw this to you, Raphael. I talk to some people, you know, in the progressive space who say, you know what, maybe we can't win by telling the truth. <laughs> you know, maybe we should just basically create content farms in Belarus too and lie. And you know, my view is we can win with the truth and facts. I think we have to be tough. I think we have to be creative. How do you guys respond to that? Here's what I would say. Uh, fake news, lying propaganda, it wouldn't even work on our side. And in fact, you know, the, the Macedonian teenagers that famously or infamously uh, created just tons and tons of fake news supporting Trump in 2016, the ringleader himself said that he doesn't care either way whether Trump or Hillary wants, he was just trying to make a buck and that he tried to make kind of a fake news Facebook page for Hillary and it wouldn't work because <laughs> liberals were fact checking him. You know, <laughs> right. Yeah, liberals they're they're kind of fastidious fact checkers. I mean, you should see on on our page, I mean, they fact check us more than the fact checkers at times, you know, when when there's any sort of gray area. We they, we just could never get away with it and we don't have to. So what's the point? And if I may add to that, uh, we've never spent a single dollar investing in our own company and we our engagement is at least double Trump's and double Fox News's. So we've proven that the truth goes much further than a lie. And you don't need hundreds of millions of dollars behind the truth on social media because people will respond to it. And they know you can't pee on their leg and tell them that it's raining. Now, Donald Trump pees on his supporters' legs and tells them that it's raining all the time. And they believe it. But the left is not as gullible. <laughs> well, it's actually very heartening to hear that. So I'm curious, when you guys think about um, the next five months, you're obviously... Um, both now you're creating content, you're sharing content to reach all types of voters. When you think about the sort of execution part of the campaign, people registering to vote, uh, people understanding how to vote by mail in their state, have you guys given thought to the role you can play to be helpful there? I think we've, we've always seen our role as kind of like seeding the ground to, to win the ideas war. Uh, I think 2016 was a shock to us as much as to anyone else. And it it woke us up to the fact that, you know, meme makers and Facebook pages, we can't just be the ideas warriors. We we actually have to, you know, make sure that we are engaging people to win electorally as well and to keep that focus on, are you registered to vote? Uh, do you have a plan for voting? Especially nowadays with the pandemic, it's that we have to be doubly focused on that and um, be very vigilant to Donald Trump's efforts to dissuade people from voting or to even prevent people from voting. So... I would say that that's something that we we need to do better at in 2020 than in 2016. How to keep people focused on the very active voting. For sure. No, I think that's right. And what do you think about when you think about different parts of the electorate? And Raphael, you, I think, um, talked about some of this in our discussion already. But when you think about, you know, younger voters under 25 who might be either disinclined to vote or you know, maybe they're registered, they're going to vote, but they're thinking about voting third party. How do you guys view that challenge? 
that's a challenge that keeps me up at night because in the trenches, you see that there's a great, a, a large swath of voters that are either holding their nose to vote for Biden or are they're split. They were very disillusioned when Bernie lost and lost resoundingly. For a second there, they really thought that Bernie would win, you know, after the first few primaries. So to manage their unmet expectations and to land that plane without it crashing um, and to land it on the side of them voting for Joe Biden, you know, it's, 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 an, it's an uphill climb and we have to be strategic about it. The way that I see it playing out is that we have to be honest with people and promote voices that said, for example, I... I wasn't planning on voting for Biden. Biden wasn't my first choice. He wasn't my second choice. He wasn't my third, fourth, or fifth choice. But voting for Biden is the only way that we're going to overcome Trump and achieve, you know, uh, at least get bring us closer to so many of the goals that, that are important to me. And it, highlighting those voices, I think, is very effective. And uh, I can't imagine that the official campaign will be able to highlight those voices because, you know, it's it's a big risk, you know. <laughs> right. but, so, but so it lands on our, on our shoulders to to be risky and to be bold and to really appeal to these people with an honest message that acknowledges the fact that Biden wasn't their first choice. I'm so glad to hear that, Rafael, because we got to meet people where they are, right? And for those voters, if somebody's thinking about not voting or voting third party, by definition, they don't think Biden's going to be on Mount Rushmore, right? We, we just got to say, okay, but this is the only way to get rid of Trump. It's the only way to deal with climate change. I think that's so important. So Omar, I, I want you to add to that, but uh, that's the challenge, I think, is that cohort. You know, an opportunity is, and I've been surprised by this, at least how quickly it's happened. You know, Biden's showing real strength with older voters. You know, a lot of them spend a lot of time on Facebook where, you know, you guys are as smart as anybody. So add to what Raphael said about younger voters, but I'd also be curious as you guys see uh, some of this demographic strength that Biden's showing with older voters, how that may, you know, uh, affect your strategy. Well, you know, I feel like we've always made content kind of geared towards more cerebral voters who tend to be older because they have a more experience and just more of a grasp on how important things like social security and Medicare and food stamps really are. One thing that we've been hardened by is by seeing the responses on messaging, like the ones that Rafael just touched on, that Joe Biden may not have been my my first choice, but he's a million times better than Trump. That kind of messaging has gone really viral. And when we read the comments section, it's not just seniors saying that, it's a lot of young folks saying that, it's the far left saying that. So there really is a consensus this time that we're going to unite behind our candidate. And I've spoken to people that are pretty far left, way to the left of me, and even socialists or you know democratic socialists. And they're all going to vote for Biden this time around. And, and, and they're encouraging their friends not to make the same mistake as well. So I think the shock from having somebody like Trump become president and the PTSD that many Americans are facing in the last four years of just waking up and checking Twitter and, and seeing the rolling dumpster fire that is the Trump presidency has really united the left like never before. And I've never seen anything like it. And I think my brother uh, shares my opinion. So that is one thing that I think we need to harness that energy, really acknowledge the fact that many voters, uh, Biden may not have been their, f their first choice, but we're all in this together and we need to unite. And that's the only way that we're going to take down Trump because people realize, wow, Trump's people, you know, there may not be a lot of them, but they're loud. They're excited about this election. So if we don't get just as excited about Biden, they may steal the election again. Yeah, no, the enthusiasm gap is, is real right now, although I think it's closing. So, you know, Omar, you talked about some of the challenges that the left has around YouTube infrastructure finances. 
you know, when you guys think about what's missing out there, and this can be both as it relates to, you know, your work, but just generally in the progressive space, when we think about platforms, like if there were no barriers <laughs> to kind of the world you'd like to create to allow us to both win elections and govern effectively, what would that look like to you? If there were no barriers in an ideal world, the left would be at least equally as well funded as, as the right when it comes to social media. The left will be coordinating as much as the right. So I think the 2016 election really built a schism among the left and really divided people. And we're still kind of re-litigating re the Bernie versus Hillary thing. And I think Trump has done a really good job of expanding on that. So every single time that he can build a rift between and divide Democrats, he always makes sure that he makes a tweet about that. You know, you mentioned we're way behind on YouTube and why that is. So clearly we've got to get more competitive there. But you said, you know, we need to be equally funded to them, equally coordinated. Are there any platforms that you think are going to be much more important, let's say in the middle part of this decade, that we really have a chance to be better than the other side at? You know, I, I think... You know, I spoke to the folks at CrowdTangle and that specialize in Facebook analytics. And Facebook is the platform where most of the voters are, and it's the platform where the left has the biggest deficit. So after Occupy Democrats, there's another page called the other 98% that's still pretty viral. But after that, there's really nobody else. Now, when you, when, now there's probably about eight different Republican pages that fall within the parameter of Occupy Democrats and the other 98%. So I think the voters are on Facebook. It's the best way of reaching people because you can post any kind of content. You can post videos, you can post articles, you can post status updates. I think Facebook is the future of political messaging. And I think that's where the Democrats can not only make up the, the most deficit, but can easily reach out to experts such as myself, my twin brother and other folks, see how we can use their help, how, how we can use just a little bit of money to build up our infrastructure. And I think we could very easily match the right on Facebook. It, it, we just need to actually put some effort into it. Now, Instagram is a lot of young folks. Twitter is also a lot of young folks, a lot of arguing. And a lot of things that might go viral on Twitter, people view Twitter as being uh, politically important. But a lot of things that might go viral on Twitter, sometimes you don't even hear about them on Facebook. So it's, it's a very different crowd. It's a very activist, very young crowd. But in reality, it's about as far away from the demographics of the people who actually vote in this country as you could possibly get. And Facebook really, really closely matches that demographic. And Facebook has a very, very sophisticated advertising mechanism that allows you to reach specific voters. And I think that that's something that the Trump campaign realized four years ago. Wow, this is really cheap, really efficient, really cost effective. Let's put hundreds of millions of dollars behind that. Like, let's let's put our whole team behind that. And if I remember correctly, the Hillary campaign, when approached by Facebook to offer them help with their campaign and embed somebody in, in their campaign, just like they did with the Trump campaign, they said no. So I think <laughs> that's the kind of thing that we need to avoid, uh, not just in this election, but as we think about the future, because Facebook is only going to get more and more important after 2020. So in 2024, there'll be another election. 2028, there'll be another election. And by then, I think Facebook will be the only battlefield where these campaigns will be playing out their um, strategies. That's super important perspective. The main thing is the main thing. Rafael, I'm curious, um, you know, and you guys are obviously starting to create a lot more of your own content, but you, you're able to see carefully what kind of content um, you think is effective. So 
you know, there's a lot of just people out there, right, uh, who may want to create their own content. Maybe that's an infographic. Maybe it's something they write. Maybe it's a video they do. You have any guidance for the average citizen, uh, the types of content that they should think about creating? Obviously, we want it to be authentic to them, but that might have the chance to reach a lot of people. I would say work on your voice and the tribe will come to you. Like develop your own uh, independent voice and and try to try to put an, into your memes what everyone else is thinking but no one is saying yet. And be responsive. When an issue hits the headlines, respond to it, respond to it, respond to it. Be consistent and put out as much content as you can. People are often amazed that I can put out 15 original memes a day. <laughs> and I'm, I've gotten really good at it and I'm pretty fast. But ultimately, I have fun with what I do. I would do it for free. <laughs> and I do. And I did for many years. You know, this was, I just, Occupy Democrats was for me at first, for many years, uh, just a passion project. And people responded to that passion. It wasn't something that, you know, I quit my job, I, I, that I thought I would ever quit my job and do full time, even though I eventually did. You know, be authentic, be consistent, be diligent, and be responsive. I think those are the keys. That's great advice. So speak to your 15 meme comments. So I think there's a view out there that, you know, sometimes people think if I post once or twice, that may be too much. So talk about the science uh, and the expertise behind, you know, posting as frequently as as you do and as you suggest others do. I think the key is quality, not quantity. Uh If you have 15 quality memes, then put out 15 quality memes. Don't just publish things just to publish things, you know, and and, uh, and and I find sometimes the worst thing that you can be on Facebook is boring. And you asked earlier, like, what does Trump do better than than Biden, for example, or the left? And I would say one thing is that Trump is never boring. And on <laughs> Facebook, sure. yeah, and on Facebook, the yeah. worst thing you can be is boring. And sometimes I'll see these posts from um, on Biden's Facebook uh, page, and I'll think to myself, this is a boring post. And that is the Achilles heel of any post on Facebook. You have to, it's got to be some oomph, a little fight, a little emotion, an appeal to empathy, you know. Okay, fine. Tell me, give me a statistic, but then tell me, how should I feel about it? Should I be angry? Should I be sad? Should I be outraged? There's a specific way of of crafting a Facebook message that is different from Twitter. Twitter is kind of dry. It's a lot of journalists, a lot of activists. People on Facebook, they want to be entertained. If you want to inform them, you have to entertain them. And that's the key. I always look at my graphics before I press publish and say, is this boring or not? And I think, is this the best, is this worded in the in the in as few words as possible? Is the image as compelling as possible? Quality, 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 and don't be boring. So it is that blend. So in order to inform, you need to entertain, right? Uh, but you need to entertain in order to inform people, right? So that's kind of the really fascinating. So tell me a little bit about your origin story. So both of you are back in 20... 11 and 2012, part of the Occupy movement, you're in Zuccotti Park. So talk about how you went from there to the very beginnings of the Occupy Democrats page and why. You know, uh, my brother and I, I was in college. I was in Europe in college and then working for an investment bank down in Colombia, but watching really intently at the Occupy Wall Street movement, because at the time, the Tea Party had congressmen, they had senators, they were forcing the Republican Party's hand and passing bills, etc. And finally, my brother and I saw a populist movement from the left. So we were super excited about it. My brother first went to Sukkoti Park, then myself, after being away from the United States for a couple of years, I went to Europe to do my master's and then went down to Colombia. Instead of flying back to Miami, I flew to Sukkoti Park. I was so excited about it. And I walked around for a few hours, really talking to people. And then I flew back to Miami and I had a conversation with Rafael where I told him, 
Well, well, Rafael and I both had the same thought, actually, because he had also gone to Zuccotti Park. And we both came away with the same, not criticism, but disillusionment. From talking to the folks down there at the park, written into their tenets, from what I understood, was that they would not get involved in politics, so that they would affect political change without embracing the Democrats or without embracing politics at all. And in many regards, they were successful in that. The word socioeconomic inequality became part of the American uh, dictionary for the first time ever. But they didn't have any success legislatively. So my brother and I went back and we said, hey, you know, we think that they're making a mistake there. We agree with them on everything, on their general tenets, which are consumer uh, protection, financial regulation, rolling back socioeconomic inequality, etc. But we disagree with their methods. So we decided to create a Facebook page where people who agree with those tenets of Occupy Democrats, but also generally support the Democratic Party and realize that they're a million times better than the opposition, could hang out together, join together, join forces, get educated in the same place. So that's why we chose the name Occupy Democrats. And that's why we crafted our messaging to match uh, that strategy. And it right away, it started to work. So we knew we were onto something. So we both basically quit our daytime jobs and got to work. And what's it like running this with your twin brother? Like, I'm curious, how do you guys divide up responsibilities? Do you talk about that a little bit? And Rafael, I know you're in Philadelphia right now. Omar, where are you? I'm in Los Angeles, but we used to be in Philadelphia together. I just couldn't take the cold weather anymore. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say that my twin brother and I complement each other really, really well. So we both do pretty well what the other one does. Uh, but we both do have our specialty. So we can kind of fill in for each other. Or if one of us gets stuck and we have a question, the other one can usually answer it right away. I mean, like if I get stuck on something and I don't know which direction to go, I'll ask Rafael and he'll give me a really clear, concise answer. And right away, I'll know what to do. So I, I think if I were to go out and look for a partner better than my own twin brother for something like this, it would be impossible because we have a very similar political ideology we think very similarly. I mean, we are identical twin brothers. We used to finish each other's sentences, etc. So now we've kind of translated that into the political realm. And I'll let Rafael go on. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with everything you said. And I also think I have more of a background in graphics design and the, I, and the creative side of things. So I focus more on creating the content. And I think Omar focuses more on the, the direction of the page and more of the business side of things. So yeah, we definitely complement each other. It's like, uh, you complete me, Omar. I will say that. <laughs> That's the nicest thing I've ever said to him. <laughs> <laughs> and you said it out loud, Jerry Maguire style. Uh, <laughs> so, Raphael, I'll start with you and Omar. Uh, please add. So, folks who listen to this, how can they be helpful to you in your mission? What can they do to help you guys, if anything? Well, obviously, the first thing they can do is is like our page. And the second thing they can do is support the super PAC that Omar launched, the Occupy Democrats Election Fund. And just share away content. Like you said earlier, that some people are afraid to get down in the trenches and, and, and engage in meme warfare. But right now, it's all hands on deck. And this is an existential threat to our country. I don't know. We survived four years of Trump because there was no, well, until recently, there was no major shock to the system. But, you know, the last few months have proven that he's just simply not up to the task. And we need actual real leadership. Uh, we need someone who's a serious adult in the White House. And so now is the time to to get in there and and take the risk of pissing off your you know conservative Fox News watching Uncle Joe and share away. Omar, anything to add? Yeah, I would add, you know, your Trump supporting uncle, he's not holding back. So <laughs> and he's sharing away. Right. And his camp is sharing away. So 
why uh, unilaterally disarm ourselves? I mean, this, this is no time to play nice on social media. This is the time to really expose them and energize our own base and get out the vote. Well, listen, Rafael Omar, thank you for being uh, on today. Uh, more importantly, thank you for what you've built and, you know, really the critical role you're going to have in this next election and many elections to come. Your success in many ways will determine our collective success. And I learned a lot from this discussion. I hope folks do. Omar, stay uh, safe and enjoy that beautiful weather in L.A. But uh, as someone who grew up in the Delaware Valley, uh, Rafael, I think you're in the better location. So uh, uh, I pine for Philadelphia, despite the fact that I'm living in California. But you guys are inspiring. I know you're inspiring a lot of other people. And I think you, uh, in many ways, are going to define uh, the future of this country over the next few years, if not decades. So keep up the great work. Thank you. Thank you. That's very kind of you. Thanks for having us. So I could have talked to Rafael and Omar all day. I learned a lot uh, in that conversation. I'm sure all of you will as well. And let's listen to what they had to say. So if you can financially help them, please do that. If you're not uh, currently liking uh, either Occupy Democrats uh, or riding with Biden, please do that right away and share content and create content. You know, I've talked about it, but I don't have the expertise or the authority that that the two of them have. And, um, you know, we've got to get in this fight. So whether you like it or not, you got to put on the hazmat suit and you've got to get into the digital wars, Uh, sharing content that speaks to you about Biden, sharing important information that speaks to you about why we can't afford Donald Trump, uh, creating your own content if that so moves you. But listening to them, you know, should inspire us all to understand um, that we have to not just compete on Facebook and some of the other platforms, but we have to figure out a way to win and ultimately to dominate. So I couldn't be more excited about what they're doing. And I'm really eager to see the impact they have over the next five months and in the years to come. So thanks for tuning in and look forward to being with you next week.